to Startup in Estonia, the podcast where we discuss different pillars of a successful startup ecosystem by showcasing examples from Estonia. In this season, we take a deeper dive into verticals of startups, such as educational technology, AI and machine learning, cybersecurity, financial technologies, talent HR, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud, and for more information about the startup ecosystem in Estonia, visit startupestonia.ee. Without further ado, it's time to dive into today's episode. Here's your host, Jiao Ray. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Startup in Estonia podcast. We've been exploring different themes in each episode of this podcast, and today's episode is about edtech, educational technology. I'm very pleased today to welcome Ede from ST2.0 and Mart, who's the uh, chairman of the Nordic EdTech Forum. So, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us here. Thank you for having us. And let's talk a little bit about uh, your background and what you guys are doing. Uh, Ede, do you want to go first? So I started um, almost four years ago. So at the time, I still lived in the US. And obviously, as every person has a personal, well, obviously, we all have a personal background with the education system. And, and mine uh, was mostly about um, my own experience as a student in Estonian school system, as well as uh, trying to get back into Estonian uh, school system with my kids, which was a really uh, gloomy one, because none of these schools in Estonia really wanted to accept my kids, wow. which was um, a weird experience. And then I decided, uh, why not just, um, why should I just keep complaining about it? Maybe I can just uh, do something about it. And and it just coincided with the founding of AST 2.0. So Hardy Maybaum was the founder. Um, and uh, the pilot project was bringing 3D printers to Estonian schools. So that was the moment where I hopped in. And then we did uh, three more gadgets-based projects, um, and then we decided to move on to to more personal approach, and we started organizing summer schools uh, for Estonian school kids of the age range of 14 to 19, where they build actual prototypes. Therefore, we sort of empower Estonian students with the tools and mentoring to, to become startup entrepreneurs. So the beginning for you was very much out of a personal frustration. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the goal with it was to bring some of these newer technologies into the educational system in, in Estonia. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what age ranges were you So we, we started with uh, from first grade to 12th grade, so spanning all, all ages and, and also vocational schools. Uh, but now we've uh, s- sort of specified the focus more to the, the upper range, so 14 to 19-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and we still cooperate with other projects uh, like Vivita, who's, who's aiming the age range of 7 to 12. Mm-hmm. And, and Mart, for you, how, how did you get started in the whole ed tech scene or what's, what's your story? It's it's actually a little bit longer story, but uh, I always was a, a rebel in the education system, I guess. I, I just recalled a few uh, months ago that um, when I was in primary school, I already said that, um, well, it's just a jail, <laughs> uh, so what should you expect from it anyways? And uh, unfortunately, this uh, narrative hasn't changed too much, and uh, we are kind of forgetting about it. So there is a massive passion inside of me to try to help to make a difference, uh, to enable access to really great learning experience to kids and also grown-ups. 
And uh, so I've been about 15 years doing various things to make these things happen. And um, um, we started uh, with uh, the current team about uh, 2003, I guess, with uh, um, an investment uh, simulator. Uh, at this time, there was no discussion about mm-hmm. tech. I mean, so we didn't even kind of think of, okay, let's make it global business. <clears throat> but um, but after that, we uh, did quite a few different youth conferences. And uh, somehow we ended up um, uh, with internationalization of, uh, of education. Uh, and, uh, and we have now started quite a few different companies in this field. So the most known one is uh, called Dream Apply. And it operates in about 35 countries now. And it's a platform on top of which universities or countries can build a modern student admissions management uh, system. So, uh, and it saves about 60% of admin time. And uh, it helps uh, to increase uh, international candidates' numbers, usually between 50 to 100%. So it's a really, um, a really great tool uh, for, uh, for helping universities to become more international and for students to find a study, pl- study place abroad. So, and how do you go from Dream Apply to to you know the Nordic uh, et- the, the Nordic EdTech Forum? <clears throat> um, basically, the first idea was uh, we, we had a, a lunch with one of the co-founders of Nordic EdTech Forum in Helsinki. We, we just had a piece of pizza like three years ago, and uh, in yeah Helsinki, like the mm-hmm. kingdom of education in the world, <laughs> and we were just bouncing ideas for an hour or so, and then we found that wow, it's so so amazing to share ideas and thoughts with other people that are passionate about education, and so we thought that wow, we, we must do a, a, a club where people like that could come together and, and get to know each other and learn from each other's experiences because there is a lot of uh, struggle there that um, we don't uh, normally hear about on the street if we are not actively trying to make the, edu- uh, make the education better. But there is tens of thousands of issues or problems in the education system that need solutions. So there is a lot of playground for startup teams to, to look at things. I think, you know, I remember from my, my student years and I was a little bit active in the, you know, transforming the educational system as well. One common theme is that... Uh, Whenever you went to these uh, forums to discuss about issues with education, everyone started with, in my country this, in my country that. So, you know, the educational system seemed very fragmented and very unique from country to country. What I like about both of your approaches is that you had to deal with the fact of, you know, how how do you make this experience in a world that's becoming more globalized, where people are, you know, doing more of what happened to you, either that, you know, you have your kids born in one country, you go to another country, you expect the level of education to be at the same level or, or to be able to be accepted in those systems with so the compatibility between systems. And I'm not sure if we're there yet or, you know, what's, what's happening behind the scenes, but how do you see that as a, as a challenge, this globalized education? We, we have really amazing uh, teams uh, if you look at the uh, Nordic uh, scene. So Nordic Ethic Forum is operating in eight countries, uh, um, well, Iceland, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And uh, we welcome founders from all of these countries. But if you look at the whole uh, kind, of, um, kind of topic as in general, then we study mathematics more or less the same globally. Mm-hmm. Um, we study languages more or less the same globally. And even methodologically, it's very, very similar very often. And that could be a problem, actually, for many parents because their kid might be a little bit different, might require a different methodology, but it's not really available. Um, so uh, the biggest problem area for teaching internationally, actually, is, guess what? History. 
history because everybody, everyone has their own exactly has, has their own view but all all other subjects you can have a lot of commonalities and also if we talk about organization of school systems because uh, if, if we go into kind of the d- details of uh, what the school system or education system actually means then there is quite a few different things that you have there um, and um, in, in a broad sense you need to organize uh, your learning and then you need uh, to learn and uh, so so both sides need tools and when we go into concretely innovation discussion then for we have determined like four different levels uh, or layers of innovations in education uh, the base layer is like uh, internet connection and uh, devices we need those so otherwise if we don't have these then nothing else can can come on top of this then uh, we need systems that support um, the schools or the, the teachers to manage themselves uh, and so we could actually measure if we are actually having a, a, a goal set for learning. Do we actually reach this goal? Um, and uh, then we need uh, to support teachers in, in delivering learning. And uh, and then we need concrete learning solutions. Actually, the, the fourth layer is the most fun because everybody can see this. And we have a lot of really cool innovations happening in this space. But, but very often they fail uh, economically because uh, uh, they don't get uh, wide enough uh, outreach for their services. Ede, how do you see this uh, challenge of globalization? Matt mentioned many, many important aspects here. So I would love to come back to a few points here. He also pointed out, uh, well, uh, first of all, the uh, Eurocentric view. So we here in Estonia and, and elsewhere in Europe, we tend to have this uh, approach that the European education system is the best. As you mentioned, Finland is the king of education mm. and, and Estonia obviously is very proud of ranking number third in the PISA test mm. results. Um, in the world. In the world. And, and it's important to mention that actually Singapore ranks the first and Japan number second. Uh, but somehow we get... Uh, Hordes from Japan visiting Estonian schools, somehow they want to to see what we do here differently. And at the same time, if you look at, I, I always like to point out to, uh, to, the, to the other um, um, list uh, where um, Estonia, Japan and Singapore do not rank that high and that's the World Happiness Index. Well, mm-hmm. they, they rank very high, but in the wrong oh, side yeah. of the table. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So again, Estonia ranks uh, 63rd, Japan 54th and, uh, and Singapore 34th. So somehow these numbers are correlated, but in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So that the, the smartest kids tend to be the, the, uh, the saddest. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Finland actually does pretty well on both uh, lists, right? But um, but yeah, so it's interesting what you mentioned about the history, teaching uh, history. So I've actually had the discussion with uh, some of my Japanese friends, uh, for example, about the Second World War. So <laughs> I don't think they actually cover yeah. that uh, yeah. in the yeah. history classes at all, or maybe just... Uh, some aspects of it, and and also the the uh, cultural context p- plays a very um, big role. So if we get into the um, the different um, tech tools we have um, uh, that actually work internationally, there's one platform called Edmodo, which is based in uh, Silicon Valley, and um, its founders are from India, and they they mentioned that somehow well they do pretty well. 
internationally, but there are a few markets that uh, that don't do well at all. Mm. And these are, um, interestingly, interestingly, Estonia and Japan. Mm. And I guess it's because uh, we are not used to sharing our materials. So it's, it's a platform where teachers and, and students alike can share their materials. And somehow... There could be another issue there as well. Um, I've, I've noticed the pattern where, where there is existing systems in place. Then it's um, harder to... Exactly. Well, that's another approach, but we have several existing platforms, that's, that's but the somehow these do not work that well either. So I think it's still... Now, now that we started talking about you know, the usage of technology, mm-hmm. let's, let's address this from, uh, from you know, what's, what's the main challenge that is facing education today and what is the role that technology can, can play there? So um, fundamentally, there is a lot of unanswered questions there. And uh, of course, uh, when you're dealing with innovating education, you need to think about these things. And uh, there are several trends that um, seem to be there. And first trend that uh, is very dominant is the way that we learn. So because uh, in the industrial era, it was totally fine if we teach kids in a way where they have to sit down, listen to orders, and uh, we kind of spoon feed them with knowledge. And they are, have almost no choice or very little choice of how and what they do. And for like, for, if you train a person for 12 years like that, then these are kind of the commonalities that you are kind of learning to sit quietly, do boring stuff usually for long days. And be the passive receiver. Mm-hmm. Be the passive mm-hmm. receiver, exactly. And and now if we look at the economic shift uh, happening globally, that we are moving from industrial era to something new, uh, we can call it information era, uh, but or, or or something else even. Then the the demands that we have for people are also shifting massively. So uh, because uh, if you are coming to work in an innovative company you are probably going to be quite useless if you just sit there and expect somebody to tell you what you have to do. The, the company usually set up this way that the expert come in, comes in and tells what needs to be done to bring the company to a new level. So we need to totally re- look at education from this perspective also, absolutely from a 180 degrees different approach. And that's not just about the content, that's about how you know, the, the whole educational the model approach, has, been, yeah. has been structured. Do you, so do you think technology can play a role there? And I mean obviously beyond the internet, because you know, clearly the internet has, in a way, kind of democratized the access to information. Schools' role, which was we are the keepers of the information and we give it to you, has potentially diminished because the information is just out there. Um, so, so what other roles can technology play Beyond, I think there uh, are two um, more popular approaches, probably. So one is that uh, we try to change something from within by using the, the latest technology. And the other approach is trying to set up something completely different, uh, what, uh, what Mert is probably, uh, or what the Nordic uh, Forum is trying to, or you probably represent more of that view. Um, uh, I can share AC2.0's experience and I think we try to start by by the second approach, by trying to build something different mm-hmm. or I don't want to uh, say like rivaling the existing school system, but uh, sort of like something of an extra. But now after uh, four years working on the field, I've realized that actually the change can come from within from because within. The, the pre-existing system is so huge so it's um, 
I don't know if impossible, but it's very difficult to sort of try to to um, to uh, shake it. But, but it is because even if you look at uh, at uh, you know the established players, I'm not, I'm not even going to go to the you know kindergarten to twelve, some like universities. Knowledge is out there. Coursera, Khan Academy. I mean, there's a bunch of online tools for people to learn, and you would imagine that by now, universities' role would have changed or shifted beyond the fact that you have a stamp. You know, you have a stamp of guarantee from your university, but it's it. They're somehow entrenched, and I think changing from within might uh, might make more sense. Mart, how do how do you see that? I, I'm uh, following quite a few different approaches uh, to things, and um, let's say my dream that I follow is to enable access to high quality educational learning experience to everybody globally. We have about three, uh, 250 million people globally that don't have any access to education at all. Um, and uh, of course, there are cultural reasons in many cases uh, there. But if, if we look at the general global education quality, it is rather poor. We have uh, quite a, a lot of research basically stating that kids are going to schools but they are not really developing there. Mm-hmm. So, so there is something fundamentally wrong uh, in, in what, is, what is done. And, um, and at the same time, we have uh, supporting research uh, for humans being basically learning machines. We are designed and we are born to learn and adapt to the environment where we are. And, uh, and the funny thing is that we are not really allowing this natural learning machine part of ourselves to... Um, kind of grow so we are uh, with this spoon feeding approach uh, we are kind of killing this ability for people to determine themselves what they are good at and what they are interested in and and follow their passion or even understand what their passion is so um, if you kind of this broad philosophical topic if you bring it uh, like on a concrete table then uh, I'm I'm happy to work with both type of initiatives like the ones that are operating outside the school and trying to help the the, the learners from the, from this way, but also the, the ones that are operating operating inside the schools and and um, from the latter, uh, for example, I'm at the moment helping to set up a democratic school in Tallinn inside of um, um, an existing school, a state school. So to show that uh, a totally different approach to how students are are behaving inside of the organization is possible inside of the school system. But uh, the only other country that I know of that has done it in in state schools is um, uh, uh, Israel. It's it's quite uh, quite interesting. But tell us, what's this democratic school? What does that mean? Democratic school fundamentally means that uh, kids have a lot of say regarding what, how, and when they are doing. So it empowers students to decide a little bit more about... A lot more about... The uh, content as well? Yes. Yeah. Uh, So... Although in in, the, in Estonia we have to follow the the law of Estonia, so so there are some kind of barriers uh, that are going to be there naturally, but um, uh, other than uh, kind of uh, this really core stuff that the Estonian law demands, they uh, have a weekly kind of parliament meeting where they discuss. Uh, everything that they want to discuss, and they also, together with the teachers, have everybody has the same vote, and they decide what exactly they're going to do and how, what uh, what kind of methods they are using for learning as well, and what kind of tools they're using for learning as well. So technology actually feeds in super well into this context because one of the problems that we see in the traditional school system is that the teachers um, 
like to follow the thing that they know about. Mm -hmm. And uh, very often this doesn't include technology, unfortunately. Uh, but the kids, if they follow their own track of learning, if they have a personalized plan, they will choose the methods that are the most useful for them to learn. So they will be actively looking for mm. new ways of learning a, a, a certain thing. And uh, as an example, I can bring, um, for example, uh, there is a, a Finnish invention uh, for uh, learning to read. And uh, it was invented by a university um, uh, and um, basically it was designed for uh, disabled kids uh, to, to learn to read because it's very difficult for them to do it. Um, and uh, uh, it's with language issues, kids. And what they found was that it's very suitable also for normal kids. Uh, and uh, Cambridge University ran a study on this and basically what they were able to prove was um, that there was no difference if the teacher is sitting together with the kid when the kid learns to read with the app or if there is no teacher. Just the kid learns mm -hmm. to, to anyway, read exactly yeah. the same speed. So, and, and what this kind of innovations uh, enable us is uh, really magical because um, then the teacher's time opens up and the teacher can actually deal with the really serious issues that needs to be dealt with. That, but today the teacher doesn't just have time to do it. But do, do you see that you know, teachers or at least the way that the educational system was brought up and you made a, a good sort of historical view of it, was this mass education, so the same content for everyone, the same methods for everyone. Technology. So obviously teachers are products of the pre-existing education Clearly, system. Right. And they and also perhaps need some, some help there to absolutely. figure out that you know, the role that they're playing is also changing because now with technology we can get a little bit closer to this curriculum of one, you know, a, a curriculum per, per student or a method per student. Yeah. And, and then therefore the, the teacher's role will change, right? Absolutely, it will. So I also wanted to... Um, support what Matt, Matt was saying about the survey conducted last year uh, by applied anthropologists uh, brought out this uh, aspect that, um, that teachers do not necessarily know how to use the latest technology in the classroom and kids find what, whatever projects initiated by teachers uh, boring, mm. um, even though they might not even look into it. And if the students can initiate something of their own, which probably relates to the democratic school um, model, um, they find it much more interesting and they're much more interested in uh, actually pursuing it. And actually the, the, the survey we were just uh, um, introducing a few days ago at the TransferWise office, uh, which was conducted by the people from Tartu University, also supporting uh, these key findings that uh, it's especially mostly it's boys who uh, who start programming at the early age, uh, even though they might have programming classes at school, but they actually learn how to program on their own because this is where gamification comes in. Mm -hmm. Mostly they start by playing these video games or online games and that's how they get hooked uh, and they maybe want to make these games even more interesting and that's how they get into it and this is uh, this is sort of self-led learning mm -hmm. which helps actually there is uh, this uh, triggered the thought uh, uh, that um, a lot of people nowadays think that uh, girls are weaker in coding than boys but uh, there is absolutely no scientific evidence uh, to be able to prove this fact and uh, so we have looked into why this has happened why we believe that girls are weaker in coding than boys 
And um, it, it comes out that uh, there was, in the, in the beginning, a lot of coding was done by, by women. Actually, the first computers were built by women. And uh, in the middle of 80s, you see a massive drop in women in coding. And uh, uh, what happened at the same time, more, more, more or less, was uh, implement, uh, introduction of personal computers. And uh, if you look back at uh, these days, middle of 80s, the computers were quite poor, and usually there was very simplistic games, and usually these games were more suitable towards boys because there was like war simple, games, yeah, war games, like mm-hmm. shooting games, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, so uh, basically, the marketeers are guilty mm-hmm. for nowadays total cultural bias of women being weaker mm-hmm. because the boys then were getting computers to play with they got used to this hacking the to computers the yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and they played with the equipment because the equipment was poor and so they needed to play with it all the time so and we the, keep we actually do keep perpetuating these mm-hmm. stereotypes simply because there are no role models that's mm-hmm. also what came out of the Stati University survey that uh, that boys find personal role models uh, very important it's mostly because there are so many role models out there and it's very difficult for girls to find these role models. You are listening to the Startup in Estonia podcast. We're going to get back to the episode shortly. To learn more about the startup ecosystem in Estonia, visit startupestonia.ee where you can find more information about Estonian startup visa. Visit our blog, check out startup events in Estonia and more. For up-to-date startup news, also follow Startup Estonia in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. And now let's get back to the show. But in Estonia, what are some of the what are some of the initiatives to introduce? I don't know programming in in schools at an early age. What what's happening? So what we see is that kids start out uh, with the same interest, both boys and girls, and somehow girls just drop off uh, after fourth grade. And it is mostly because uh, what other people around them keep telling them. You know, there are so many examples. For example, there was one project in. a school in southern Estonia said that, okay, can we have, uh, uh, they were asking for support from a tech company that we will have this programming uh, club for boys. And the company asked, so what, what do you offer for girls? Oh, they will have the catwalk uh, training. Wow. Uh, so, so that's what we, what we um, sort of expect from our girls. And, and, uh, and now we've actually reached that point where we have to offer girls some sort of um, extra clubs. So we have to um, have to, di- to treat them differently because just to overcome these biases. And and I, I was actually very skeptical about this, uh, like having uh, special clubs for girls. So why do we have to? Because in Hüppelaut we see boys and girls working mm-hmm. together and, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely no problem. Although, of course, we have more boys for some reason. And and again, mostly because uh, we already have that. Uh, it's, uh, it's a summer school for kids interested in technology. Therefore, Self-selective. some yeah. girls already think that maybe that's not for me because at school they tell me that tech is for boys. Uh, but we've, we've actually seen the girls who come to the summer school are maybe sometimes even more efficient than the boys. But then, I, because I was so um, 
I wasn't convinced and I hadn't really seen any um, research that would tell me that there is a difference. So I, um, I conducted this um, girls robotics club uh, as a, like a supervisor of, the, of this um, club during this uh, spring. And now I'm actually convinced that we do, the girls actually do open up much more if they're only, only girls. by themselves yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are no boys to so it might be a way to uh, to bring them into the absolutely the so as a first yeah. step so again like how did uh, how did women get the right to vote so we had to <laughs> there was some sort of a period where you had to treat them mm-hmm. uh, give mm-hmm. them some special treatment so if we overcome that cultural bias then I think we can move on from there mm. I just would like to comment on why it's so important topic for the industry it's a massive problem if there is almost only men dealing with some area of, uh, of work. Uh, basically, it's a loss for the whole industry if uh, 50% of people are thinking that they are not belonging there, although there is no kind of um, like and, reason and, and for And we them. see that in Estonia, right? We see that in Estonia right now with, uh, you know, with, the, lack of, uh, with the lack of talent. That, uh, in the ICT the field, we have uh, 25% of women only. And if mm. you look more into the jobs they have, it's mostly the lower paid, so lower scale jobs so mm-hmm. so is there something here also in in the educational sector that can be done now we've we've talked about you know early education we've talked a little bit about university what about you know things like lifelong learning or or retraining programs for the people who were trained in the previous uh century with you know antiquated uh methods or 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 knowledge and and now we see that because you know the the pace of change is is moving on so quickly they might feel left out and some of the skills they had acquired are just not, not meaningful anymore. So what, what role can technology play there? There's actually um, a lot of new interesting initiatives uh, coming all over the world uh, to grown-ups or lifelong learning. And uh, on, on one hand, it's a, re- a desperate need that creates this because uh, uh, we know that a lot of jobs that are available today will not be there after 10, 15 years. Uh, so people, you better start training yourself now to learn something that machines cannot easily replace. And and on the other hand, then there is a, a lot of offering actually coming to the table as well with all sorts of online university programs, uh, also kind of training, uh, kind of Udemy, uh, masterclass, really great quality content coming there. But also YouTube. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there um, I've seen people retrain themselves just by uh, following their, their interest and, and looking for great players in the YouTube. It, it, in the beginning, if you're not used to it, it takes some effort to try to figure out how to find the quality players. But trust me, it's worth it. I absolutely agree. So again, my own ex- like example, uh, being a lifelong learner myself, uh, just recently graduated from university again. Uh, but uh, And I'm like a... It's completely a humanities person, but uh, but uh, due to those like this abundance of online courses out there, Udemy, Coursera, you name it, uh, like yeah, mm-hmm. I've started yeah, learning programming. Start. So there's no, there's no, the it's so easy to access those courses. So there's uh, literally no no reason why you should start with with a passion, right? It needs to start Absolutely. with personal interest to to do it, which is what we are. We also want to bring to the early education that they feel a little bit more empowered because this is something that that comes from them. Yes, 
Oh, like, of course. I guess it's always the uh, the most difficult part. How do you get so it's it's easy to get those first pioneers to come along, as we see at schools as well with the teachers. So how do we get that um, like the the happy middle ground to to come along? So I think this is the biggest issue we have to tackle in the in the field of uh, edtech. There is there is actually a lot of discussion going on around this uh, also on the European uh, level. And I'm actually just going to speak at a lifelong learning conference uh, in uh, in Brussels on the 4th of uh, June, uh, organized by European Commission. The European and policymakers understand super well the changes in the uh, job market that are coming as well. And uh, so they are looking for innovators to come on board and help to solve the issues. Because um, one of the things that we can, for example, see is that... Um, uh, well, if you talk about education ecosystem, then there is quite a lot of pieces still, kind of puzzle pieces, not falling into place mm-hmm. because it's a very new niche uh, kind of. And uh, the states or the governments aren't so far really used to cooperate with innovators because if we look at, for example, um, uh, the northern uh, Nordic Tech Forum region and eight um, small countries, uh, then. <coughs> um, most of the teams that are starting, they're usually students themselves, uh, usually, or they just finished university, so they have um, not a lot of experience in uh, making a real business uh, scale, and also they have not a lot of experience uh, talking to governments. And usually these teams are super tiny. They start with like two to five people mm-hmm. in the beginning. And now if you are a government representative, then you are not used to dealing with such tiny like nano teams. So uh, this is, for example, one of the issues that we need to kind of figure out how to solve, that uh, these both of this, the sides would feel comfortable and kind of respectful to each other. So the structures are not there for, for this type of innovators? Yeah. To Even in a small running. country like Estonia it's, well, it's the same issue working on it uh, yeah. like, even in Estonia where the access to the decision yeah. makers is quite quite easy so you can right? access them but they probably won't take you yeah. seriously yeah. so that's exactly the reason why we started this um, edtech program in Startup Estonia to bring the government closer to the mm. to the innovators mm. and, and by innovators I mean a very kind of broad uh, kind of sense that anybody that have, has ideas how to make education better or learning cooler um, they could come in and propose their ideas and, and have a, somebody that respects them on the other side of the table and have a good dialogue and move things forward. Let, let me finish the, the podcast by asking you a question. I, I have two kids. Uh, Edda, you also have kids. Mart, you, you have two. Uh, so what kind of education uh, would you want your kids to have? I, I know, they, you know they're already involved in the education process, but what can you hope for the future of education for them? That's always a great question because I think when we start about uh, when we talk about innovation um, in education, uh, then most mostly we actually have to deal with the parents who mm-hmm. tend to be the ones who are the most conservative, uh, and and we uh, we normally get that uh, that uh, response that okay it's okay to experiment but not on my kid, mm-hmm. please do it someplace else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm. I'm uh, actually to be blamed here because uh, my my oldest son is actually uh, will uh, start or move on to the Estonian education system next year and and uh, in one of the most uh, traditional Estonian schools. So actually, I would be really eager to 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 
<laughs> as as probably any parent you you grow with your oldest child so with the next uh, the other two it i'm more easier. willing to experiment yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so but maybe you can change that school from within uh well we'll see and mart so um it's a longer story because um my older son i've got two sons uh 12 and 10 years old at the moment and my older son is uh well we have a diagnosis for adhd and um, it's a fun story because uh, uh, you, you might wonder what this actually means because nobody talks about this. And it means a very simple thing uh, uh, based on current research that uh, your um, dopamine receptors in brain are a little bit, uh, um, let's say, sleepier mm -hmm. than in normal people. So you need a little bit uh, higher dopamine level to feel okay as a normal person. And we are kind of, as normal people, we are not taking this fully for granted that we feel okay-like. But this, these guys actually need to put in effort. So and the way to increase your dopamine level, you have to be either physically or mentally active or combined. So uh, then your dopamine level increases. So that's why these guys usually are widgeting in the, in the table. Mm. Um, and, and what you normally get in today's school um, I think there is no difference if you talk about Estonia or many other countries. We tell them to stop fidgeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the worst thing that you can mm -hmm. do to this child because then they have no means to increase their dopamine level. What this automatically means is that their cortisol level, level, level starts to increase, their stress Stressed. level uh, increases, to, and it can increase to the level where uh, a, a normal people would be after a car accident. Mm -hmm. And now try to imagine sitting still in a bench without being allowed to do anything if you are just have if you just a, had a car accident not a lot of learning happening then yeah. absolutely and yeah. and actually what you will do is you will make sure that nobody else can learn as yeah, well yeah, yeah. and so uh, so i'm i'm kind of working on um, on helping the education system to try um, to try to offer solutions for this kind of uh, people and um, and this is why the democratic school is on the table super Mart, Ede, I think we could have uh, stayed here all afternoon talking about education, uh, but thank you very much for being on the show and I hope uh, our listeners also had a good time listening to, to us talk. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the Startup in Estonia podcast. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so you can get every episode delivered to you directly. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a fresh dose of inspiration. See you soon.